Welcome to Greenhouse Grower to Grower, the podcast where we talk to growers from across the greenhouse industry about market trends, innovation, their biggest challenges and opportunities, and more. I'm Brian Sparks, editor of Greenhouse Grower. Greenhouse Grower's February cover story features the team at Plant Peddler in Cresco, Iowa. During my interview with the Plant Peddler team, we talked about a wide range of topics, and I left the conversation with way too much information to include in one article. So here's your chance to hear the entire discussion. We mostly talked about Plant Peddler's summer variety and winter poinsettia trials, why Plant Peddler owner Mike Gooder is a perfect advocate for the floriculture industry, and how partnerships with technology suppliers can go a long way. Keep listening to learn more. I should note that because we were talking as a group, some of the audio may be a bit muffled in spots, but we hope you learn a lot from this great conversation with one of the industry's most innovative growing operations. Let's start with the plant trials that take place at Plant Peddler, both the summer plant trials and then the uh, poinsettia trials. Um, if you could talk about, you know, how long those have been going on, uh, what are your some of your main goals with the trials and, and the benefits that those bring both to your company and then to participants in the trials as well? So as part of the founding history of the company, we have always believed in trialing and testing. Um, the foundational principle is that consumer success equals our success. So whether we were running it through our retail store, through a wholesale customer when we started more recently, last couple decades, servicing growers, um, we always have a drive to make sure we're producing plants that perform ultimately the best for the end user, the consumer. And to do that, it really requires always analyzing what your current benchmarks are and then looking at what's out there that you can improve upon. So we've, we've always done quite a bit of testing and trialing. It's really when we went public is when the, you know, the awareness of what we were doing. Um, that happened when we were running Doom in USA, when we helped get Doom started in the North American market. Mm. The first official summer trial variety day was in 2005. Um, I think we had 200 varieties. I looked back and checked. Uh, 200 varieties that were in trial that year, and it was quite humorous when I was reading it because we even had things like seed geraniums in the trials. Well, now it's an all-vegetative trial except for maybe one oddball, Sunfinity. Um, so, you know, that, that part of the evolution of variety day going from a couple hundred varieties to where are we at now? 1,500 yeah, varieties that we trial. Uh, hopefully we, we can figure out a way to expand more because we have opportunity to have more uh, genetics. Um, but, but that outreach was to get the breeding community connected to plant feather and connected to our growers and retailers. And that's really what the ultimate mission is, is how can we bring together the community, uh, the people that are creating the genetics, and the broker salespeople that support the system, uh, growers and retailers all together in a platform where we educate and we bring knowledge to them about what's best performing, introduce new genetics, really um, give that touch point for people, especially here in the upper Midwest, to get together. When set of trials started a bit more casually, we were testing poinsettias again going back to when we were in Duma, so that's early 2000s. Um, one of our salesmen, Gary Portnoy, uh, brought down a group of growers from 
um, Minneapolis, St. Paul area from the greater metro. And we walked through and showed them a bunch of varieties that we were testing. So this was really about 2012 or so when the first unofficial poinsettia variety day happened. About 2014, 15, we really made it more of a public trial and really started outreach. So about a decade that we've been uh, working and developing the platform we now have, which is Poinsettia Variety Day. And again, connecting all of the global breeders, uh, a vast amount of the commercial varieties on the market, and doing a grow-out trial that represents commercial production, northern climate, natural season, which is a lot of the way people grow up here in the northern half of the United States are under very similar conditions to what we produce on. Each year is a different trial, whether you're talking <laughs> summer trial or you're talking about the poinsettia trial because of the variable conditions of the Midwest. So this year was extremely warm and bright, and we've had years when the poinsettia trial has finished the last four or six weeks in the dark. Hmm. Add, Rachel, since you do a lot of trial stuff. I take care of the summer trials, and so we do. Now we're up to 1,500 varieties, um, 900 pots, and 600 baskets. It's we start in March with the uh, the unrooted cuttings, and we'll stick them into a three and a half inch pot, carry them on until um, plant them into their finished pots at the end of May, bring them out to the green out to the trial garden the first part of end of June. And then just kind of carry it on. Try to carry when we produce those products. We try not to do much, much chemical application or you know fungicide. Well, fungicide. I treat them like we usually do in the greenhouse. We try right. to treat them all similar because we don't want to have to do anything special to them. And then you know the other growers don't know we want it to grow like for a consumer more than anything else. Genetic for all of our trials is. It's, it's a real trial. Um, it's, it's how a normal consumer or grower would treat it. We try not to give special treatment to certain varieties so, so they get the end result that everything is perfect. Um, so you can walk through the, the summer trial or through the poinsettia trial, and you can see kind of just, you know, by the plant habit and what the plants are, kind of what the dogs are, um, because they aren't getting special treatment. Yeah, you can look through the catalog from any breeder and, and every – Every picture of every crop is perfect, um, but until you get it into a real grower's hands, you really get to stress that crop or see, you know, where the downfalls are. So our ability and, and our, you know, our process through the trial is try not to give special treatment through that process. So, so the real consumer, the real guys on site, can see, you know, how it performs in their greenhouse or, you know, how it, how it looks, you know, when they're growing it. All the poinsettias are grown in a six and a half inch pot, so we've got varieties in there that should not be grown in a six and a half inch pot, either whether they're vigorous or whether they have a low vigor. Uh, you know, something like red elf in a six and a half inch pot is not quite going to make it. Uh, but then, like that way, obviously, people we, we're not adding time to it. We're not adding short day, long days, or anything to natural development of that of that plant. So what's the process for breeders to participate in the trials then? What do they have to have to do? I work with the breeders um, early on the spring trials um, to book all of the varieties that are in our current catalog. Plus, I work with them for any new introductions that are coming. And sometimes there's even stuff that's not going to be introduced 
get that year or the following year, sometimes there's things that are pre-intro to the trial. So um, I work with them ahead. So we get everything booked out to come in for the weeks that we need it to start. And um, that's for both the spring trials and the poinsettia trials. Uh, for the poinsettia trials, um, we actually just give them a full list of whatever they want to submit to the trial. Um, and they can submit whatever they want. For the spring trial, we actually ask them um, to submit everything that we have in our current catalog, plus anything that we're planning to add to our next catalog. So anybody who comes in that's going to be um, purchasing cuttings or young plants from us will have an opportunity to see a product that they're going to be buying live. Okay. And that's kind of how we, how we limit it. Um, so it doesn't get too overboard. We don't have um, seed varieties in our trial gardens. Generally, there's maybe one or two um, that are out there just because they're plants of their wholesale favorites. Um, but everything is geared towards the young plants and what we can offer to the customers. Did you see any trends this year, and not necessarily in specific varieties, but in 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 things that attendees were most interested in that you can you know then start you know following up on and what you're seeing that, that's drawing the most attention from them? I would say uh, we keep getting more diplodemias, uh, mandevilla items. Um, I think people are, growers are more, are starting to get a lot more interested in that product. Um, the Trixies, or excuse me, the Multis, people have been very interested in those because it's a lot easier plant for them to handle. Most growers don't have enough people on their planting line. So it's much mm -hmm. more easier for them to just grab a, a multi-liner, three items in one pot, and then they just drop it in the tr into the basket and it's good to go. So we had quite a few of those this year. Um, the begonias, uh, a couple of different types of begonias instead of just, just your homolus begonias, but your cascading begonias and whatnot were really good, good for production. Okay. Go ahead, Jason. Every trial, the first thing that when, when we interact with people, everybody asks, what's cool and new? Every, and that's, I think every trial I've ever been at, I've had 10 people ask me that same question. So that's one thing everybody's looking for. And that's one thing even in the poinsettia trials. Uh, we have some private trial, private breeder trials. And so they, we can't show them to people, other people outside of the breeders themselves. Uh, but that's one thing that the trials, I guess what people are always looking for is something new and cool. And of course, with the, you know, with some, with, with the genetic uh, transgression or evolving, evolve, evolution, I guess, uh, there's always something cool and new every year. And it's just fun to see how they produce. Some of them don't always produce well in the conditions we're talking about. They maybe take some special treatments uh, for in production greenhouse, but uh, obviously trying to relate that relay that to growers we make discoveries also so uh, an example of that um, selecta um, worked with usda to get um, offshore production of dianthus so we had a large cross-section of the new selected dianthus program in the trial and i think we all walked away from the trial gardens this year saying there's a genus that's been underrepresented and we were blown away by the overall overall garden performance. So it allows us an opportunity to help introduce new product because we see it firsthand. We saw the performance mm -hmm. of trail gardens. 
it gave us confidence that it's going to perform for the consumer, for the grower. So, you know, for us, it's it's equally as valuable. We have the opportunity to be in the garden, you know, all the way up to freeze up in the fall. We get out there as a group, and I think, you know, really helps us as a team uh, develop the best program for our growers. Oh, sure, sure. And I would imagine, too, over the past couple of years, you know, w- with the pandemic, um, that I would I would guess it's changed not just how you conduct the trials, but then maybe seeing the emergence of of different categories um, over the past couple of years. Well, I've seen I've, I've noticed that um, a few things that we've been doing a lot of trialing on over the years, like dahlias, for instance, is one that um, there's there's been a lot of trouble with some of the series of dahlias that have been out over the last several years, because if they form tubers, it takes away from their energy and the, they, they can get a dahlia decline and not be able to bloom or flower anymore. And we've seen a lot of new series come through that we've been able to test and give us more confidence in dahlias. And dahlias have been a growing, you know, for on the retail side, we've got a, a, a lot of customers that are, selling more dahlias than they used to, you know, from the vegetative side. And that's one that we've, you know, we've continued to just every year trial more. And now um, we're confident to put them in the flower beds too. We've seen some great new varieties that are doing well in the beds. And it's, it's just great to see things that are, as Jason mentioned, evolving and, um, you know, growing as a, as a cultivar so they can be more useful and easier to grow for the end consumer. Yeah, to a point where even dahlias, for a significant amount of time, I, we did not even want them in the greenhouse for production. And now mm-hmm. they have a pretty, they're in combos, they're in standalone pods, and they're speaking for them with confidence. Right. I mean, consumers want them, and it's very nice that we're finally having a, more varieties that they can actually have success with. When we do our, our beds and our pots, um, we'll do the same items in pots, we'll do 900 pots, but we also put quite a few items in beds that the, that the companies want us to use. And so we did put dahlias in beds and they did perform along with some begonias, which most people don't expect begonias to grow in full sun. And we put begonias in full sun and they did phenomenally well. Um, we also did the di- dianthus in beds instead of just in the pots. That kind of sparked our interest in them because they did so well in the beds along with the pot. So they were treated just you know like a regular flowering bed. So got them in nice. both both situations. So have you already started to look ahead to next year then, and any adjustments or changes that you might make planning uh, coming into next year's trials? More room, more beds. We're filling in a pond. (laughs) Water. Yeah, we we like you know when we when we did our last build, we laid out a new gardens, and of course, yeah, we all we're pretty much outgrown it. So we're trying to come up with thoughts and theories on how to expand upon what we do because it does serve a valuable purpose both both as for us as a company, but for our users, our growers, and brokers. And an opportunity for the breeders to connect. So, you know, our, our mission is to make sure we're doing the best we can. And part of what we do on both events is really focus in on education. Uh, that's an important piece of it. So we do formal seminars during the Variety Day event. We do some very good touch points with all the breeders talking, and you I'm sure seen on our videos. 
presenting new varieties, presenting their favorites. So, uh, you know, it's it's the educational side of what the importance is of all of this. And, and, and it's not just about growing some pots of flowers in a garden. How we connect the dots to help our growers be more successful, how we take, you know, what we have here at Plant Feather and use it for the benefit of everyone that's involved. So The speakers we have, and we have everybody from university uh, experts, you've got uh, chemical representatives. We've had last year, I think we had the head, the grower of the year, uh, a grower from up in Minneapolis come down and do a, a speech. So you've kind of got like live world information coming at you. I mean, you can listen to information sometimes and sometimes it gets to be the same over and over. Then I think we do a good job of bringing in you know, real world expertise gets the people that attend. That's great. That's that's a that's a nice way to do things. And um, you know, Mike, as you're talking about education there, um, with that, I I want to shift gears a, a little bit and talk about you know education when it comes to advocacy for the industry. And I know, Mike, you've been a big part of this. You know, whether it's working through, you know, panel discussions with American Hort and some of their activities, and then also you know, obviously meeting on a regular basis with local and state lawmakers in Iowa. Um, like for you to talk about, you know, why that's important to you and to the company and to the industry. And then coming out of that, you know, why this should be important to other growers and how they can get involved, even if it's something that, you know, they might not be within their comfort zone to, you know, get outside of the greenhouse and, and talk to folks outside of the industry. Yeah, it is. It is passion. It's important um, for us as an industry. Uh, we're not relevant unless there's awareness of horticulture. So, in the great state of Iowa, and I love my state. It's a it's a commodity crop industry, but we've been able to, through our senators, our representatives. Um, both on a national and on a state level, uh, our governor, especially our secretary of agriculture, we've got we've been able to bring them all here, and see what a technologically advanced greenhouse does. Uh, the revenue stream off of where we're sitting was a cornfield. The revenue stream with us in greenhouse production is thousands fold more return. Mm. Also, this cornfield created no jobs, maybe one or two people for a few hours during the year. We've created. 100 jobs, more than 100 jobs. Um, so getting that message so that you become relevant, um, you know, it's so important as an industry that we elevate the presence of the impact that we have, both from an economic impact and what we can drive. There's, there's you know, very large Im dollar impact industry. We create good jobs for people. Um, it's you know people enjoy working in a greenhouse because you're working with plants. It's a it's a great environment to work within, and and bringing that knowledge to people outside of our circle. The, those of us that are in the industry industry, and you found your way into the horticulture industry, Brian. I'm sure you weren't raised in it. No. Um, none of us sitting at this table were raised in the greenhouse industry. Yet we're all passionate. Once you can spread that passion. <laughs> John, what? Well, John. John. <laughs> I guess John. I forgot about John. He didn't have a choice. Uh, always, well, he was stuck in soil. <laughs> yeah. I got pictures of him with bats and that sitting in the greenhouse while I was pouring concrete. Um, <laughs> no, it's 
it's so important that we, we, we talk about what we do, the beauty that we bring to people's lives, the, in, depending on your operation, the beautiful landscapes you create, the flowers you grow, maybe it's food and vegetable production. There's so much diversity in horticulture, yet we don't talk about ourselves. And so reaching out to people, having an opportunity, and, and advocacy is grassroots. That's bringing in a Vogue Ag class. That's bringing in a gardening club. It's, it, it doesn't have to be on a grand scale. Getting your county supervisors, your city council people, your mayors, we do all those things because when we make them more aware of what we're about and make them friends of Plant Peddler, it raises the statue of Plant Peddler. It raises the awareness of horticulture. One of the most recent events we did, which was a real payback for me, uh, was Educate the Educators, where we worked with the um, state of Iowa, Iowa Department of Agriculture, Iowa State University, and we brought in high school vocational egg teachers from 50, I think, eight schools, uh, like 80 people in attendance. We had uh, w workshops, forums trial garden experience. We gave them a full day of learning. We had a team of industry people that come in for our variety of event that volunteered to come in a day early to help educate the educators. And everybody involved walked away feeling really good about what we just had happen. Hmm. That's cool stuff. Uh, that's really, and you know it's going to go back and it's going to influence kids. And those kids might end up in horticulture. <laughs> So, so do you have internship programs then for those who might have that interest and help foster the next generation of, of folks working in the industry? Yeah, yep. Um, so we do offer um, mainly local schools. Um, we pull a few kids out of Iowa State, but um, we are open to internships, um, you know, summer internships. We've done six-month internships. Um, you know, it's a great experience because, you know, I was one of those people that you sit through a class horticulture class and you learn about it in the textbooks and you, you watch powerpoints and, and this and that and the other but until you get real first-hand experience in a production greenhouse um it, it's an eye-opening experience and, and it's good for the, for the people that have never been you know in that situation right yeah they got some interest in horticulture they want to grow some plants but when you step into a facility or an operation like ours it, it really is an eye-opening experience that it, it, it's bigger than just a small garden shop, and, and with it, the industry as a whole is a lot bigger than just you know the mom and pop shop down the road. So, so we open our doors um, for internships, and like Dad mentioned, we bring in school tours, either high school or there's college that's come to visit. You know, we're we're an open open door policy at that point because we want to create the awareness for those people and and, and for those kids so they can see that there's opportunity in, in horticulture in greenhouse. A lot of them aren't even aware that that there is. So, so yeah, we're we're open door on internships and in any educational experience for anybody who wants to come in and see what we're up to. So, that's one thing with the, with the diversity at you know in the greenhouse and the production greenhouse. There's people that come in. I mean, there's an entire shipping department at Plant Feather. Yes, they do some horticultural activities or you know procedures during the slower times of shipping to get to that to that point. But so like there's you know. Individuals will come in. I think we've had a few come in where, you know, everybody thinks it's all hands-on planting, watering, growing, but there's there's so many other departments, whether it's shipping or hard good at uh, acquirements or decisions on what is 
combinations you put together. Uh, so that you bring in those interns or the you know high school age kids, they see a lot more of what is available within the greenhouse. Even That's designs a- and, and marketing and all that stuff. That's a great point too, because I, I was going to say, I wonder, I, I got to imagine there's, you know, for folks who are looking to get into this industry, but not necessarily have to be involved directly with the plants. There's got to be opportunities, you know, as you said, in shipping, but anything from marketing to um, to human resources to social media to anything like that. It's, there's a lot more diversity within it than um, staying in the end of a shovel or, you know, strictly plant work and. With the technology we have here, we've elevated that awareness. A lot of people that we have that come in have a, a degree in some other aspect of education, and uh, they quickly adapt. So they may come with a technology degree. We have a grower here now that backdoored into um, horticulture, um, and he came from the IT side. So hmm. really works well when you have as much technology in the building as we do. Another aspect of our internships here, though, is we've uh, – and it started, what, 10 years ago about? Mm-hmm. 10 years ago, we had some J-1 kids, uh, J-1 visa, which is an international internship, came in from the Ukraine. Um, and since that period, we've had uh, 100 kids or more from all over the world that have come to Plant Peddler for an internship, which might be nine months to a year. Typically, they're um, either in college. A lot of times they are. Uh, between a bachelor and a master's degree, so they have education. Um, and they've re- really changed the culture of plant peddler. Um, you know, we're a Euro-American, Northeast Iowa rural, and all of a sudden you have this diversity of the world. As I tell people, potlucks at plant peddler used to be tater tot casserole and goulash, and now it's the foods of the world because um, of the diversity that's here, and some of them have found ways, and we've worked with State Department, et cetera, that they've become uh, legal citizens of the United States uh, and have contribu- continued to cr- contribute and have really helped diversify our community. So it's been a really cool impact um, and what it's done to transform Plant Peddler into, because we are a global company, I think our staffing also represents a global company. Oh, that's great. That's a great story to tell. Um, just to kind of close out the, the advocacy portion of the, of the conversation here then. So what advice, if any, would you have to, you know, another grower in this industry who, you know, when it comes time to get out of their greenhouse bubble and talk to, to folks outside of agriculture, what advice would you have to them if that isn't necessarily part of their comfort zone? Yeah, it's, it's not hard to do. I think everybody thinks it's a big mountain you have to climb. Open invitations. Um, politicians need to have touch points, need to be aware of their constituents. And you can start very small. You know, start with your county supervisor uh, rather, rather than, you know, getting to the point where you have some need and ask. Bring them in and get them aware of what you're doing right away. Uh, work your way up. Your state and local senators, they want to make sure that they're in in tune with their constituents. It's good PR. You know, always we try to invite the media. Any event where we have um, political leaders here, we make sure that we get the, the good side of the free press. I mean, anybody that knows us, we love good free press. <laughs> we try to make sure we're out there with press releases all the time. Um, so, you know, you can raise the awareness of your company, but you also can raise the awareness 
of your of the industry and the involvement you have. And and as as it compounds, it just becomes its own entity. In the case of the state of Iowa, we had the I think it was Lieutenant Governor Adam Gregg came up, and then he goes back and he tells the Secretary of Agriculture he needs to come up who then tells the head of Iowa Economic Development, Debbie Reynolds, that she needs to come to Plant Peddler, and pretty soon the governor is at Plant Peddler because they all talk. And so you really, if you get them excited, and it, it, it just compounds. And it's not hard to make that initial outreach, and just any form of outreach works. So it can be as simple as that garden club. It can be Senator Chuck Grassley. Um, once you start reaching out, it becomes very easy. It's that first step. It's just like, okay, I want I want people aware of horticulture. I want to make them aware of plant peddling, and it just becomes one step after another. I am going to give a a, a talk at um, Columbus at Cultivate on this subject matter. I'm not sure the time and date's been set, but I believe it's on Monday morning. Uh, talk a little bit about um, advocacy and how people can get involved with advocacy. Touch awesome. bases and cultivate on this subject. Yeah, when it when it comes time for that, we'll be sure to promote that that talk as much as we can because that's it's critical and it's you know you can go to all the you know pest management and and irrigation and and, and the, those types of talks, but this is something that you know I think everybody needs to to hear more about. So that's great. Um, I'll shift a little bit into into the last big part of the conversation that I want to go over, and that's kind of going back to within Plant Peddler, um, the innovation in technology that's taken place. Um, let's start with, you know, over the past year or so, what are the biggest innovations that your team has implemented? And then from that, what you might have planned going into 2024 and then beyond that? Well, I mean, we've done you know, quite a bit, you know, not just in the last year, but over the last few years of, of stepping up our technology and, and our advancements inside, you know, Plant Peddler. Um, a lot of it, you know, when we look at the, the grand scheme is, is efficiency driven. Um, everybody's in the same labor crunch. So so when we look at it, it's it's how do we make the, the people we have as, efficiency, as efficient as possible. Um, so, you know, we look at simple things like Hanging basket systems, right? We were, we were married to echoes and things like uh, for our hanging basket stationary system, systems, stationary systems, right? So it was was old technology. It was it was good technology, um, but you know, with our new expansion, it gave us an opportunity to take a step back and say, hey, maybe there's a better way to do this. So so we looked into the FormFlex hanging basket system. Um, it, it did that installation. We married it at that time with the Oasis Water by Weight, um, which. At that time, I think we were the first or second to put those two pieces together. And, and in our mind, it was a match made in heaven. Um, gave us the opportunity to really um, utilize that overhead space to the most efficient way as possible, not only in turns and growing, but you know the, the labor efficiency, right? When, when we look at the man hours of hanging baskets and, and harvesting those baskets at time of ship, um, triple, double. Yeah, I mean, the, the, as far as pulling and rehanging and even the, the turns on that basket system compared to what we have we're probably we're probably at four to five turns uh, within March to June growing season on the new systems where in the past we were lucky if we got two uh, and also those those two turns probably at the same time probably took more labor than the five or six turns we get at this time with the 
uh, water by weight and form flex system. And another thing is enjoyment. The biggest thing that I see in production is the enjoyment of the people working with it compared mm. to the old system. They, I mean, they, it, it, it's actually, it's fun for them. It really is. You see, they, you know, their, their production time is increased. They like doing it. It's not a hard job. It made, made it easier for them. And it's, uh, the plants coming off of it too. Same with the water by weight. They're almost all uniform, which uniformity for me is an ultimate goal in the greenhouse. Good looking uniformity. Yeah. Systems like that are absolutely, uh, have been a joy to implement in the greenhouse. And we hear and about that so much. About... Sorry, go ahead. No, it, it, it's, you know, it's, it's even some small things. We, uh, motorized all of the uh, the autobonds, the A-track, uh, rollabonds, whatever you want to call them, that move all our container system around. And just, and Nikki can probably speak better on it than I can, but just that one simple thing of taking people on one end and sending it to people on the other end uh, made a huge difference in our efficiency because uh, we can move and, and everything in, in, on the container system plant pillar I'm amazed how often things are in a different place. Like it was there yesterday, where the heck did it go? Because these guys are constantly moving product to the right environment to do the that piece of the production side, especially when rooting season, everything is in constant motion. And that requires a lot of people. And we were able to take that that number and cut it in half in what it took us to move crop around. Um, so incremental steps, you know, uh, you know, a, a dumb one, right, is like instead of pushing brooms, we get sweepers, right? And everybody likes to jump on the rider and go clean floors. We love a clean plant pillar. And so it's much easier for a simple investment, a sweeper, that improve. Um, we, and we're always testing. Right now, these two characters are working on a new boiler that we're testing for biotherm that's been interesting, to say the least. Um, but we're out, you know, we're helping one of our key partners, biotherm, in testing and a prototype new boiler system, um, that's part of what we do because that's what we're about, right? We're about trials and innovation and research. Uh, bio, the bio-rational side of what we do that Jason mentioned a little bit about the talks this year was all about a bio-rational approach. Not necessarily taking conventional pesticides out, but how do we grow better with other tools than straight conventional? So working with things like Evo Factor, and uh, give them a list. You know, bio Super So. Uh, full power. What's the Mike, microbe remedy? Uh, that's a big one we've been working with. Uh, and some of that stuff, it's you know, that we talk about trials in the genetic side. We also do quite a few trials uh, on the side on this side as well with the growing uh, elements, uh, the applications and lack thereof uh, or simplifying it or maybe a little bit more bio-friendly um, but I, we're, I'm not we're not a I'm not a, we're not exclusive to bio or traditional chemical we try to mm -hmm. combine the two with more you know kind of an in, in integrated management between the two like we, we, we get lists from a lot of the experts of what is compatible with bio materials whether it's uh, you know the beneficials that are coming in and what chemicals might be compatible with them. And then we also, another thing we try and do with that is the liners that we send out, I want to make sure that if they're going to a 100% bio environment, that they, what we have not put anything on them that will compromise their desired results at that time. So that 
same thing. We work, we're constantly working with people, ex experts in the industry, uh, to make sure that all that criteria is met. Yeah, so a lot of times when we talk technology and people come into plant pilots, like, wow, cool, you got ISO robots, you got the Metazet form flex, you got this, you got that. The backside of what we think is just important technology is what we're doing on R&D work to produce a better liner that, at the end of the day, performs better for our customer because that's the ultimate goal. And so a lot of that isn't as phase forward. We're constantly trialing new rooting mediums, and we just completed a, this fall a complete trial out on just rooting media to make sure we're using the best media that performs most, most likely in all greenhouses to perform in whatever substrate they're using. So um, it, it's, those, it's that constant step of improvement and innovation that we feel for our, our long-term survival and leadership in the industry, we have to make those investments. So it's an ongoing process always. We're doing some simple things right now. They're not tech savvy so much, a little bit, is where we're, we put in some extra, we split some curtains in some houses to give uh, extra light management. Um, we're putting in additional lighting in a zone right now. We put in some additional drop curtains to isolate zones for cool and warm. So they don't, it's, it's hard to get, without a definitive line in a greenhouse, it's hard to get a five or 10, 15, never a 15 degree differential on each side of a curtain when it's an open open environment. So even those aren't real tech savvy improvements, but they make big differences for what we're trying to do. Yeah, try to drive us drive us to the highest quality liner or finished plants that we can do. And and I I think, you know, I asked Jason and Nikki and, and the guys out growing is, you know, what what can we do to to improve? What what hmm. pieces can we add to the puzzle um to, to drive our quality even higher than where we're sitting right now. So it's just, it's continual improvement. And it's how many different ways can we skin a cat, but we want the best results at the end of it. So, I mean, it's fun. It's a challenge every year and, you know, no two years are the same. So it's, you know, every year we revisit and it's like, okay, you know, what, what went right and what went wrong and what can we do to prevent things that went wrong or how can we capitalize on things that went right? So it's, it's, it's a fun challenge. And every year is different, so you know we never get the same result. So it's cool. Yeah. What's kind of cool, better than for us is like these decisions aren't made by Mike and John and myself. The decisions of what we're going to do with the growing and changing of the growing or different procedures are done by our growers and all the people that are out in the greenhouse. That's why we ask them because they're there. You know, we we make the decisions on you know who writes the check and whatnot, but it's those kinds of decisions and what we're going to add to the facility and, and improve the facility better for their growing and for our customers. You know, that partnership that you talk about between, you know, management and production is, I mean, it sounds like it's very critical to this whole process. Mike, you also used the word partnership in talking about how you work with a company like Biotherm. And I would imagine that's important for them too. So that, you know, these companies aren't just developing technology that they think is going to work and then they take it out to the market, having these conversations with growers like yourselves so they know what your needs are. So they're developing technology that makes the most sense for what a company like Plant Peddler would need. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the critical part. I, I can't talk specifically, but we've been on a five-year partnership with a major on a new tool for growers in the greenhouse. Um, I guess I could say it's a pest ID platform, but, you know, there's uh, that partnership 
uh, we're, I always liken it to this, you know, plant feather sits on a island out in the middle of the ocean. There's no, there's no reason for people to come to Cresco. We are not located on a interstate highway for a fast track. Um, so we, we've really worked hard to be a solid partner with anyone on both sides of the supply chain. So mm -hmm. the people that feed us both from genetics to all of the hard materials and soft materials it takes to run the screenouts are truly our partners. If we help them be successful, that helps us be successful. So that's paramount to our overall performance as a company that we have strong relationships and long-term relationships. You know, we go back to 1984 with Biotherm and nobody else has had a heating tool in here but Biotherm during all of our growth period because we formed a strong partnership uh, in the very beginning. We have, you go through good times and bad, it's like a marriage, um, but you realize at the end of the day that you're both better together than apart, and that's true of many of our relationships with many of the companies we work with for all of the years we've been out there. I think one other thing, though, that's interesting, uh, tells you a little about the tech side. Uh, we have uh, one of our leads who runs our planting lines is so fast that she forced us to invest in new set-down robots because <laughs> the current robots that are from two, the early 2000s aren't fast enough to keep up. So John has a couple new robots on order just to keep up to the efficiency of our staff. <laughs> most, people, most people will slow down to the robot speed, but not Jafana. <laughs> she pushed the envelope. So. It's an interesting situation to have yeah, <laughs> a good problem to have. Yeah. Exactly. You know, I want to go back to one other point that, that John made a few minutes ago. Um, you mentioned uh, Plant Petto being one of the first to implement the uh, the Oasis system, um, and that, le that was leading me to think. You know, so there are some growers that consider themselves early adopters of technology. They want to be one of the first to try something new. You know, there's others that might you know, want to wait and see. You know, make sure that something's proven in the market before they jump into it. Where do you see plant peddler falling into that scale? Bleeding, bleeding, bleeding edge. You know, typically we're on, on the edge of it, but you know, there, there's certain things um, that, that we've kind of cooled our jets and waited on. The, the ISO robot investment was one of them. I mean, dad and I looked at those, what, five or six years ago in Europe before we made the purchase. I mean, you know, there, there's, there's certain things where, you know, we, we see the advantage and there's a, a find like okay yeah we can make it work or you know we know that being on the bleeding edge comes with headaches um you know it's not going to be easy um when you are on the bleeding edge you you know have the growing pains of, of just yourself and, and the company you're working with um but there is also times where you got to kind of step back and say okay is it the right investment is it you know does it make sense can can we deal with the growing pains are we better off giving that to somebody else and learning from them but you know so so it's at most times, I would say we're on the bleeding edge, but there are times where it's, you know, we've had to kind of maybe pump the brakes and, and make sure that, you know, we are prepared for it. Internally in the company, we have the staff that can handle that mission. Um, financially is one thing, but, you know, it, it all comes with a, a consequence or a learning curve, and you just want to be prepared. You can't, you can't always be on the bleeding edge and expect people like Jason to stick around for 25 years um, because at some point in time he's going to get – sick of our antics of always throwing them in the fire, but, you know, there's a, there's a responsibility. I, you know, I feel responsibility, you know, they give me these tools, uh, you know, these, you know, it's big investments for the company and 
I feel uh, that, you know, it's my responsibility to use them to make it an advantageous situation for the company. It's just, you know, pay return on investment. Uh, so, yeah, so like what John said, I mean, if you, if you were constantly giving me things, it would, it would be, it would be difficult sometimes. So, yeah, so they, I think we do a really good job at decision making and say, yeah, okay, hey, you know, like the, the metazebs, I mean, that we look at it and it, it completely makes sense because it solves so many problems that we had, you know, with the, with the old echoes, you know, rehanging and underwater, overwatered, uh, stuff like that. OSHA. Yeah, OSHA. <laughs> yeah, hanging off the top of a boom, hanging five thousand baskets in an afternoon. That wasn't isn't fun. So yeah, it's uh, those things. Even lighting right now, where we we've we've got several different forms of lighting. We got some old. We took out some of our old HPS lighting. We put in um, LED lighting, but we also got some new generation uh, HP HPS. Yeah, HPSs. And uh, even the. We we had some hard learning curves with those, but we're all the same thing. All the people that come here and the people that Mike and Rachel and you know, Plant Peddler has become tied to over the years. There's I can make a phone. I can make if I just say if I say lights right now, I can make ten phone calls to experts in the industry that know Plant Peddler and that are very, absolutely more than willing to help me figure out the best way to use those. And I think I think a little bit of that bleeding edge too comes with maturity. So '84 we put in the first northern biotherm system ever put in. So like very front end. I mean we put in uh, computers in the greenhouse. 1984 actually built by biotherm to run the company. Uh, we had some of the first environmental control systems. Over time, and when we built this facility we're sitting in, there was like a dozen world's first. Um, a lot of it was bleeding edge. Uh, now we think a little bit longer about that investment. What's the real ROI look like? What is what is what's the downside risk? Um, so we've probably matured more in that thought process. We still want to be out there. Super important that as a company that we maintain the very innovative and, and you know, maintain our position of leadership. From innovation standpoint, but you also, you know, have to temper that with making sure that it's in best interest of Plant Peddler and the team of people that are part of this company. Sure, I understand that completely. Um, so we've talked, you know, a lot to this point about, you know, some of the the big things that that Plant Peddler has done these these past couple of years. You know, things you've learned along the way and what's coming up next. So, um. I kind of want to close things out by if you look into 2024 and beyond, and maybe we can even just kind of go around the table on this one, you know, for, for each of you, what excites you the most about the future of this industry? What are you most looking forward to? What, what gets you the most excited? Oh, I, I think that in the future of this industry, horticulture in general, I think we did get a bit of a boost from COVID like some companies did. Um, we had a, you know, people gardening and doing things outside and exploring that um, horticulture that hadn't before. And being able to just continue to get out there and, and make sure that we stay top of mind. Um, I'd like to um, hope that our, our trialing and the things that we do to help make sure that at consumer end, all the plants that we're putting out there pre perform well for people. Um, keeps them involved in the industry. Also, 
um, the educators events that we did um, will probably be every other year that we do that. Um, and seeing if there's a possible future impact on that. Um, there's so many kids out there that, you know, maybe they're in uh, high school right now. They don't know if they want to, they want to do something in agriculture, something with plants, but their family doesn't own a family farm. Horticulture is an avenue where you can get into it um, and be an owner of a business and have a greenhouse or a garden center. And it's not as big an investment as trying to go out and buy acres of land and giant equipment. So there's, there's a lot of possibilities, I think, for the future for us to, to affect more people with horticulture. Uh, right now, we have a biotherm tech guy on site running through some boiler systems that we have right now. We found a few flaws that have been there for a while. So right now, my excitement is maybe that's going to run more efficiently and I get some better sleep on it. <laughs> minus, minus 20 below night next year. Uh, but no, no it's, uh, that's reality. You know, that's reality. I'm really excited about that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I just, I'm, same thing, like with the tools that we talked about that we have brought into Plant Peddler, uh, my excitement is my goal as, as head grower, production facility manager is just, I, I love seeing things run efficiently and I love seeing people enjoy the final product going out the door. That if it's the, there's times when things go out the door that are difficult, uh, you know, whether something got overgrown, it needs a little trimming, it needs a little, it doesn't fit on the cart, it doesn't fit in the sleeve, it's just a point set, doesn't fit in the box, doesn't fit on, on the truck. Uh, those moments to me are, those aren't, those aren't good moments. So I just, with the, with the things we talked about today, whether it's people helping plant, if it's experts, if it's con, con, consultants, if it's tools that we brought in, just continually making every crop at Plant Feather perfect, maybe, you know, perfect, or just great. Just something that it's, it's, it's you, you're proud to see it go on the truck, on the cart, on the truck, and to the consumer, and then, you know, you get the, one of the, some of the best days are the ones that you get the uh, end users, the uh, recipients of those plants, you know, return uh, emails to like the, especially like to the sales. Uh, yeah, fewer problem emails and more. Happy ones. Happy ones. Well, we get a lot of happy ones. Yeah, there's a lot of happy ones, and those those go a long way. I would say for the future is just looking at the new genetics that are coming online. I mean, it's it's keep looking at it like for the during the trials. It's like people want to produce a larger flower on a calabacoa, but then they want a smaller flower on a petunia, and then. The genetics are going backwards, and I'm like, okay, so will we some year have a calabacoa that will grow just like a petunia, so you won't have to worry about it turning yellow? You know, and just weird things like that, that it's, everything is changing, and it's, and, um, and I also am looking forward to taking some time off, and so that's kind of a more of a excitement for me than anybody else. So. <laughs> well, that's exciting for me, too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <my laughs> I have grandkids, so yeah. I have grandkids, so I get to take care of them every once in a while. Awesome. Nikki, you want to throw something in there? Yeah, I think I'm most excited for about all the new genetics, too. Um, just something cool and creative that comes through, and it's cool watching it grow out in the greenhouse. I like, like Jason said, I like having nice stuff that goes out, and I'm excited to see what our next spring is going to be like. And not the next disease. And not the next disease, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Going into another season, I'm ready to yeah. have no problem. This is when we hold our breath because it's the start of rooting season, so. Oh, yeah. 
Usually things pop up. Johnny? Out of their control. I think, you know, looking forward, you know, um, wow, the, the, the advancements just in horticulture as a whole, is the industry you know, pushing the envelope where, whether it's AI or other technologies that get brought in, I think it's it's cool that we keep pushing the envelope um, and, and where we can utilize that at Plant Peddler um, to better produce higher quality stuff or just, you know, our, our amount that we get out of our facility is crazy to me. So so any tool that we can put in um, that's out on the market, I think is kind of cool is coming at us. Yep. Innovation always improves. Um, and making quality of life for the people that work here better, I think that's a big step. I mean, I look back to the people like Jason and Stacy and, of course, Rachel and I, when we started and what we did uh, compared to what we do. We we have a number of measures, the tools we use, and one is like uh, labor hours and labor costs to gross revenue and those kind of factors. And we've been able to effectively basically triple our labor efficiency in the last three to four years. Um, so, and that means that people are working better. We're able, uh, with what we've been able to do to get people out of here more for extra time, you know, we used to get stuck on a lot of Saturdays, and those, most Fridays this whole last six cycle, we've been able to get people out of here on Fridays <laughs> and, and improve people's family life because at the end of the day, we all live together at work. Most of our waking hours with this primary team is together, um, but we sure want that balance of life. It's really important. I think that's what's exciting to me. We have, uh, in the 43 years of Plant Peddler, we have the best team of people, really, that we've ever had in place. Uh, you know, we've had a really good crop of young people in the company that are going to come and help support John in the future as uh, Rachel and I mature out of the company. I think that's the really important part is that poised in a very good position to take this company to the next level. That's the most exciting thing for me um, as being founder owner um, that we have the opportunity to carry this generationally and pass the torch to another group of people. Um, and it and is very true. I think the industry is at a great point. Uh, we have people that are uh, bringing innovation in. We see great opportunities ahead to improve what we do as an industry, as a company. And I, and I hope that we can accomplish the tasks that we've set out to do, to be the best. Not necessarily the biggest, we just like to be the best. Thanks for joining us. You can learn more at greenhousegrower.com. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen, and please leave us a rating as it helps other podcast listeners find the show.